0: I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like I had with my wife. Uh, it's been about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget it because I was in the wrong, all right? There I said it, all right? Uh, have you ever had a conversation where you were listening, but you weren't listening? You, you were hearing what they had to say, but in your head and your mind, you knew where you wanted the conversation to go, so you were just waiting for the right moment to, to impart that conversation and move in that direction. What had taken place is my wife had gone with one of our mission teams to Romania. And, uh, and this, this area that they were in in Romania, this was pre-cell phone. Everybody had a cell phone era. There was no WhatsApp. There was no Voxer, all these other apps that we use on mission trips to communicate via Wi-Fi. None of that existed. And so they got to Romania. We heard that they were there. And then the next time I spoke with her was when she came off the tarmac and met me at the airport. Now, I'm managing three kids at home, barely, all right, trying to make it work, trying to figure it out. And there's, there's a little bit of me that was nervous that I didn't hear from them. But in my mind, I'm going, you know, no news is good news. So I was okay. I was just making it through. But when she got to the airport, she, she got in the car, and, and you know the one thing that I wanted to say was, why didn't you call? Now, I'm sure I said it in the most pleasant voice possible, right? And so she begins to tell me all the things that God had done, all the great things, and and the opportunity they had to work with certain kids, and how they were broken up in teams, and the memories that she made, and the team members that she was with, and, and the great moments that she had. And in my mind, I don't remember the details, because all I could think was, I'm just waiting for a chance to let her know that I was disappointed. That was what was on my heart. That was what was on my mind. I had in my mind what needed to be said, what needed to be interjected in the conversation because I knew I was right, right? I knew that I needed to say this. It was the most important thing. So she's sitting there in the van and she's telling me these things and I am thinking about something else. I'm wanting to communicate something else. And as I was reading through several months ago and, and studying ahead and looking ahead, and I came to this passage of Scripture that I knew we would embark on as we walked through the words from the hill, as Jesus has given his disciples this teaching. First sermon, out of the box, laying the groundwork, building the framework for his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does he model for them but prayer? And I think a lot of us have a a prayer much the same, not all the time, but some of the times we pray in the same way that I was preparing for my conversation with my wife. I I, I know know God's got incredible things to tell me. God's word has incredible things to minister to me. And God has incredible insight to turn my heart and to churn things within. But most of the time, I'm not listening. Because I've already got prearranged in my mind what I've got to interject. I've got to make this point. I've got to squeeze this in. I've got to make sure that God hears this over and over and over. Now, I know when I mention that we're going to talk about prayer, that there's various reactions. And I think it's for varying reasons. Sometimes we hesitate to talk about prayer because we lack the discipline to do it, in all honesty. And generally specifically, we just don't stick to it. It's not a priority for some of us. We quit praying at times Because we feel like life is going okay And so as long as life is going okay, then we can we can you know Kind of shrink back on our prayer lives and so in doing that we we shrink back and we go man I'm managing things all right, but when the first tragedy hits, what do we do? We knees hit the floor We start calling people. We start texting people. Will you pray? the other reason we hesitate and don't have incredible prayer lives is that somewhere along the line you you've had a prayer that you've been praying that you've been laying before the lord and it was not answered the way that you wanted the way that you imagine would be the right answer and so in your mind for some of us in the room we pray prayer just doesn't just doesn't work it doesn't work the way that i'd hoped it to work but then there's a reality we don't pray because we don't know how we, we think that we're going to get it wrong, that somebody else prays better and prays with better words and better phrases that we're going to see in just a moment as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Or could it be that the main reason for not praying is we simply don't believe it's important enough? Now, I know that's in our face right out of the box here this morning, these words from the hill. But just think about this. Out of all the things that Jesus could have addressed, and his first message to his disciples, one of the ones that takes up the most space and the most teaching is prayer. He wants to make sure that his disciples know, when I'm no longer here, you're going to need communication with your Heavenly Father. You're going to need this relationship, this opportunity to continue. So thankfully, Jesus addressed his disciples in their needing to know how to pray. Now Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to to look real quickly at verses 6 through 9 as a reminder. 6 through 8 is a reminder of two weeks ago if you weren't here to bring you back on on board. And then we're going to look at verses 9 through 13, hopefully through 14 and 15. But if I were to ask some of you to recite Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. A lot of you could. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's been memorized. It's been recited. And that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't need to be the only thing because what we're going to see in this model, in this teaching from Jesus, don't just think Jesus was saying, hey guys, when you want to pray, pray this way every single time, this same rote prayer. No. Let me give you instructions on how to go about praying. We're going to see a few things. Prayer is essential and it is worshipful. Prayer lifts up the holiness of God. It reminds us of our need for God's spiritual and his physical provision, as well as it brings us to forgiveness, it brings us to repentance, it brings us to worship. Prayer is personal and it is communal. It's both. Prayer is, and what I mean by that, it is to be done by individuals in private, but it is also to be done in and through the relationships that we have with each other. Jesus uses, at times, a singular pronoun in referencing who is praying, and then, and then at one point he uses a plural pronoun, meaning we. So I think it's an individual thing, but it's also a communal thing. It's something that we should do in private and then as we've done probably three or four times in the last year that we do as a group on a Sunday morning or in your small group or other times together. Prayer is also aligning ourselves with God rather than than aligning God with ourselves. This is a huge one that we'll look at as we go through. I'm giving you all the points up front, all right? Prayer is aligning ourselves with God rather than aligning God with ourselves. And we'll see that. So Jesus addresses how not to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will, will reward you. Before Jesus tells them how to pray, as we saw two weeks ago, he shows them how not to pray. He says, don't be like the guys, the hypocrites, the one who stand on the street corners, the one who know their prayers and know how to pray them in such a mighty way that they get recognition for them. He even says something very bold. He says, if that's their goal, then they're going to get all the reward from that moment. That's it. That's all they're going to get is recognition. he says find some time alone close the door no one needs to know he also gave these warnings that we examined more in depth two weeks ago when you pray do not heap empty phrases at the gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him how direct can jesus be when you're praying, don't try to flatter me with great adjectives that are meaningless to you. Don't, don't get to your prayer time and, and go to your phone and go, I've got to come up with a better word than great. I've got to find an online thesaurus and find a synonym for great, because it'll be more impressive next time I pray if I say instead of great God, omnipotent God. If I could say that instead, it, boy, who carries much more weight. He says, don't just loft great adjectives. Again, this culture that Jesus is preaching to and teaching in this moment, they knew traditions and prayers and prayers at different times and different times of the day and different moments and different celebrations that were written, that were given to them. And he's saying, don't just throw a prayer around. Don't babble as you are used to hearing. Now, the next part of this passage, again, some of you may have memorized. That's a great thing. And I know we've memorized it, but have we allowed it to become an outline for us, as Jesus is doing throughout this sermon, a groundwork for us for our prayer? So let's look at it for a few minutes together this morning. Prayer is essential and worshipful. Pray then like this, Jesus says. Pray then like this. Prayer, by just this phrase, pray then like this, Jesus is saying what? You're going to pray. I tell you not how to pray in verses six coming down through verse eight, but now I'm instructing you that when you pray, because you are going to pray, because it's foundational to your life, pray then, when you pray, like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Prayer is essential and it is worshipful. I love that Jesus, in giving us instructions, giving us guidelines, giving us encouragement to pray, he begins by saying, "What, our Father?" This is not accidental. Jesus is not mixing up gender here. All right, let's be very clear. When Jesus pray, he calls out to what, Father. But not just any father. We'll get to who this father is in a moment. He has a descriptor of who this father is. This is of great significance for us. And now I realize that in the world that we live in and the situations that we come from, that not all of us, and maybe more than few of us, had a great example of an earthly father. Some earthly fathers give us some confusion as we picture God as father, But that's if we separate our Father from the descriptor of who He is and where He is. He says, Our Father in Heaven. When we pray, when we think of praying to our Father, don't just say our Father, God, our Father, our Lord, our Savior, who is in Heaven. Realize what's being stated there. A Father who is in Heaven, the Creator of the universe, the Almighty, the Holy who offered his son Jesus Christ so that we could call him Father. And so today I, I find great encouragement in this. I don't think Jesus is excluding you if you didn't have a great earthly father. I think he is inviting you to realize you've got an incredible heavenly father. And this morning, if you come from brokenness and despair, realize. Jesus is saying, when you pray, you are praying to a Father who is in heaven, who is a creator, who is a sustainer, who is there for you, who knows your need. Pray then like this. He hears your every sigh, and He loves you with an everlasting love. There's no limit to His power. There's no limit to His love And when we pray as a community of believers or as an individual, you are worshiping a Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Great is your name. Great are you, Lord. With our breath, with our lungs, we will sing out our praise to you only, God. We just sang that. We just worshiped. We just lifted up the model prayer in Matthew 6 is more than just something to memorize. It leads us into worship. Here you are, Jesus' instructions, you're alone in your closet, you're, you're by yourself, the door shut, no big words to impress anybody. No wrote out, memorized, just do it. He says, no, first, just praise me. Realize I'm your father. And no matter your picture of a great earthly father or a poor one, I am your father. I am in heaven. Holy is my name. And because of my holiness, because of my graciousness, because of my justice, I offered a payment for your death. And that was my son, Jesus Christ, our father in heaven. You may be wondering, Pastor, I'm taking notes, so can you tell me one sentence that I need to pray in my closet alone to do what you're just talking about? I can't. Because it's different today for me, and it's different today for you than it is tomorrow. But what I can say is in our prayers, in our quietness, in our community prayers, we say, Father, with whom I have a growing relationship You have given me so much. You have forgiven my sins. You have saved me from my death. Jesus is starting and he's saying, listen, when you go to prayer, don't stay on the street corners and just give a bunch of flowery words. Get alone in your closet and say, God, you're great. God, you're a great father. And I don't have a good earthly one. So show me what it's like to be loved by a heavenly father. Show me what it's like to love my children as an earthly father through my heavenly father. Show me what it is like to be forgiven by my father who is in heaven. Great is your name. The prayer is also aligning ourselves with God rather than aligning God with ourselves. This is huge for me. Huge reminder for me as I was reading through this. Because Jesus, what does he say next? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was researching this this week and just typed in this phrase on YouTube. I, I didn't want to share it with you it was this little kid. Um, our Father who's in heaven, you know, Hallowed came out something different. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds humorous, but that's really in the motive of a lot of our prayer lives. Because what Jesus is saying here, I hope the spiritual light comes on for you as it did for me, is when you close the closet door and you get honest, honor me, lift me up, and then say, God, you know what I need better than I know what I need. And I want to be your servant. I want to be used by you. So God, you know my weaknesses. You know my strengths. You know my giftedness. So God, would you let me be a part of your kingdom work here? Even larger than that, we're praying for his kingdom, his reign to come to earth. Now remember, if if you're new with us, You're the first time hearing this if you've been here with most of the series of the words from the hill Do not forget this entire message is jesus preparing the disciples and future Followers of jesus to be able to live in this broken world in such a way that it turns people to jesus That people will look at the followers of jesus and say what are they pointing towards? What's their lives? What are they giving recognition for? What are they what's guiding their lives and it would lead them back to the kingdom of heaven? We often align ourselves with our desires and give God the options in how he can answer them. God, this is my prayer. Here's the three options, the three ways that you can work. Anything outside of that, I'm really not okay with. Um, but your will be done, but not really. Uh, my son went to get his car looked at this week, and the gentleman doing a couple things to his car, he's heading off for college soon, and And so we're trying to get everything lined up. And and the gentleman said, you need to go get your car aligned right now you need to leave here and go get your car lined. And and I later on asked the guy, I said, why is that? And he said, well, his tires are wearing incorrectly. Now, I'm not a mechanic, so if I get this wrong, please forgive me, all right? And and don't send me an email of how wrong I got it, all right? Um, But essentially what happens is if your car is out of alignment, the angle of which your tire hits the road is incorrect. And after a while, you don't even recognize it because guess what? Your tires just get used to the new angle. And that feels great, it feels normal, but the problem is, is your tires weren't, designed to run like this Your tires were learned were 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 trained and put tread on to run flat Not at a, a super angle like this or like this and so you go and you get it realigned So that what so that the tire works exactly and is aligned exactly the way that it's designed to do When we pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying god i'm out of alignment i know that i'm selfish i know that i want my will to be done and so if you'll just flatten me out if you'll just turn me the right direction if you'll put me and realign me this is a daily prayer is it not it's not a weekly prayer a monthly prayer just to pray on christmas eve or recite the lord's prayer no this is a, a a moment by moment god just turn me, shape me, get rid of, as we've seen over and over this summer, the attitude or the actions that are pointing people away from Jesus, align me so that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. You hear that? He's not saying, hey, wait till we get to heaven to have an incredible relationship with him. Wait till we get to heaven to see the body of Christ working in unison. Wait till later on he says, no, let's do it now. Don't skip that on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is aligning ourselves with God rather than aligning God with ourselves. But we're also praying for physical and spiritual provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, there may be times that you leave. You may get done with church today. You may go to a group after this. And you may drive to your favorite restaurant, and on the way there, you may say, I am starving. You ain't starving. You live in the United States, and most of us have the opportunity to have something on our plate. Now, there are those in our culture, even in our county, that do struggle to have provisions for every day. But I want to say on the bigger side of that the majority of us in this room have never truly been starving Now i've been to some places where people are starving i've been to some places where people are praying give me your daily bread They're asking for that daily provision of food And I believe that this prayer is true in that moment as well for our physical needs to be met but I also want us to see and now I don't have time to walk in through all this, but give us this day our daily bread. What does daily bread do? It nourishes us. It fills us. What else do we need besides the physical then? If the majority of us have that physical need met, we need the spiritual needs met. Give me my daily manna. Give me my daily feeding from heaven. Give me my daily feeding from your word. Mature me. Grow me. Build the intimacy with you. Fill me up. Jesus is instructing his followers, when you pray, ask God for richness, intimacy, growth, direction. God, give me a hunger with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. Fill me with your daily bread. Prayer also reminds us to forgive as we are forgiven. See, if we memorize this and we just say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. <clears throat> forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Sweet, great, whoo, got it. Then comes the hard work, doesn't it? Forgive us our debts, our sinfulness, as we forgiven our debtors this verse makes it clear that those of us who have been forgiven of our debts of our sinfulness our sin then we are to be leaders in forgiving others we are to be leaders in offering forgiveness to those who have wronged us those who have harmed us those who have caused offense to us he says we forgive because we have been forgiven Jesus knows that one of the greatest ways to know that someone is a believer, to know that his disciples are true, is to see evidence of forgiveness in their lives. He goes on later on to say in verse 14, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive yours. Prayer leads us to a place of saying, God, would you, because you've forgiven me, would you reveal to me, would you display to me those in my life that I need to forgive? Prayer will lead us to real personal growth in Jesus Christ. And it will lead to conviction. This is what's going to take place here in this kind of prayer. Pray, forgive us of our debts. Our sin is we forgive and forgiven our debtors prayer will lead us into conviction not condemnation a few weeks ago in a training opportunity i had to sit through through some of our prayer warriors here at the church um adam north shared some of these uh, just that just were eye-opening to me as a reminder as we pray it's going to lead us to conviction not to condemnation so as you're praying god forgive me as i forgive those who have who have, have, have made offense to me. God, help me to seek forgiveness, to offer forgiveness. It leads us to conviction, not to condemnation. There's a vast difference, and I want you to hear the difference this morning. Condemnation delivers what? Hopelessness, anguish, guilt, shame, and no way out. Condemnation says you you can't forgive. Michael, you can't offer forgiveness. Why? Because you you know the shame that you carry. You know the guilt that you carry. You know what you did years ago. That's not conviction. That's condemnation. And that is not from the Lord. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. He has not offered his Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus says of himself, I've not come to condemn, but to offer forgiveness and hope. So yes, our prayer lives will bring about in us conviction, not condemnation. What is conviction? What does it do? It delivers hope for change. A precise direction. God, convict me of specific sin. It leads us and delivers repentance and relief. And it produces spiritual fruit. This model prayer from Jesus is about trusting God as Father, about placing our lives under Him, to move on our behalf, to graciously offer forgiveness, and because He's forgiven us, we forgive others. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This sounds a little bit more like it. Protect me, guide me, keep me. This doesn't mean that God tempts us. It is a calling from God to guide us to His direction By his leading, by his prompting, trials are going to come. Temptation is going to come. God, would you guide me away from this temptation, from this person, from this situation, from this action. Be specific. Don't just pray and lead us not into temptation. God, you know the temptation. Help me move away from the temptation. Deliver me from evil. Again, verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Quite simply, if we cannot forgive, then we need to question whether or not we've experienced the gracious forgiveness of God. If we can't can't offer forgiveness, then we need to examine our hearts, our faith, and say, have I experienced the forgiveness of God? Because according to this verse, according to others, that forgiveness launches me to be a forgiving person. It sounds a little bit different than our lunchtime prayers. And I'm not beating those up. It sounds a little different than God helped me sleep good, help me pass the test that I didn't study for. <laughs> you know those. God, just help me have a good day. Amen. God, you are holy. You are my Father. You are my source of salvation and redemption and forgiveness. You are so holy, yet you love me. I can't even understand it. God, tomorrow is another day. Give me the grace to do with it what you lead me to do. Help me to adjust my life to your plan tomorrow, my life, to your desire, to your relationships, to to your ways of intervening in my life. God, my needs, I need to be fed. I'm weak and I'm weary. I need strength. And then we may say, God, help me to deal with a failing grade I deserve for not studying. Help me know how to handle that moment. Help me prepare better. God, you know this person who is really sick in my life. God, help me to know what role you would like me to play in their sickness, in their passing, in their difficulties. Help me to be prepared. Yes, God, you have forgiven me with your love and I will never understand it and I hope to display it. God, my path, I'm on my way to work, I'm sitting at home, I'm in the gym. There's so many temptations, so many things. Guide me to some different directions. Guard my eyes. Guard my heart. And what we'll discover is that prayer is way more about God than it is about me. It's way more about our relationship with God than it is about me. So I want to ask you to take a little bit of a challenge this morning with me this week. Again, the words from the hill have impacted all of us this summer. I know they have me. So I want to ask you to join me in a prayer challenge for this week. I want to ask you to set aside a time. I want to ask you to set aside a place. And I want you to use Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, to help guide you into prayer. I'm not asking you simply to memorize 9 through 13. That's way too easy, all right? I'm asking you to find a time, find a place this week and say, God, your will be done. God, you are holy. To use this as a model, to use this as some parameters to get us into a mode of prayer and to follow up this week. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to sign a card. Maybe I should. Maybe if you don't sign the card, your chair breaks next week. Something like that. But no, seriously. If all the things that Jesus gave had an opportunity to give instructions and guidelines for us to know how to do as followers of Jesus, if he takes time to teach us how to pray, then as believers we should be. And for whatever reasons you have, for whatever background you have that gives you a disdain for prayer or a struggle for prayer, I'm asking you to commit this week, every day, not in public, not on Instagram, not on social media, okay? Don't don't give yourself a humble brag, all right, on on one of those social media accounts. Alone in your prayer time, say, God, you are holy. God, this model is for me. I need a father. And allow God to do the rest. And listen and allow Him to realign your life with His will be done. Let's pray this morning.